And yeah, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of data bashlack. <laughs> bashlack. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Mads? <laughs> Alright, fuck you. <laughs> but yeah, there's been a, a lot of data bashlack. <laughs> been a lot of data backlash and <laughs> right shut the fuck up and uh sorry i can't but yeah there's been a lot of data backlash <laughs> yeah just fucking just fucking stick this on Last episode, we talked about who we think Barcelona should and shouldn't buy, and then they probably went out and bought Paulinho. How do you all feel about that? I'm pretty alright, actually. It's obviously a, not, not a great buy. Like, 40 million for an almost 30 year old that comes from China, like, it's not a good buy, independently of, of who he is. But, like, as Ty usually says, like, if you watch him without much expectation, things are gonna, like, better than you expect. Yeah, sure. The 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 move is so heavily criticised that like the only way is up for him. And I agree with that, and I agree that he is not as bad as uh, the general opinion of him is. Um, but like that still makes that that doesn't make it a, a good move for Barcelona, who have spent forty million on a nearly thirty year old, who uh, I don't think is their quality, and I definitely don't think he's appropriate to their style. I would describe uh, him as a box-to-box midfielder. He meets sort of the minimum requirements for um, general midfield contributions, and on top of that, he is very good at arriving at the right time in the box to score goals. And that, to me, is not a Barcelona midfielder. Barcelona's not going to keep the same style that they usually had because they have a new manager and they you want to do different thing to them. Like, did you watch Isabel Bao's side? Like, they want someone that has that power to arrive at the box, that has that power to transition in possession, and that is stronger, like physically, and that they don't have. He's a completely different midfielder from what they have. I I right. I agree that they shouldn't be too held down by the way they played. Uh, what's coming up to 10 years ago and and there are negatives to trying to stick to that style but I just feel like he's such a drastic departure from that style of football that like it's a, it's a leap uh, and too much of a leap at this time when they've still got Busquets they've still got Messi still got PK they've still got a lot of possession footballers why are they adding like bad Lampard okay uh, I'm a big advocate of having like different types of players and situational based lineups so um yeah if he, if he gives them something that they don't have as far as athleticism and work rate and like aggression 
Um, if you have everybody in the same mold, you really only can play one way and have a lot of, you're like one dimensional. I'm very much for them bringing in a different type of midfielder and the midfielder in Paulinho's style, but like a guy that's just one year older than him, Matuidi, just moved for 25 million today. Because they have Busquets and Iniesta, I think that it's more vital than anything that they have someone who's going to cover ground and make up for the ground that the other players don't cover. He's not going to like be awful. He's going to be fine. He's going to be okay. People think he's going to come in and misplace every pass and just be like... I wouldn't rule that out completely. Like, oh I've seen God. him do that for a season. So I, I've seen him at his very worst, and his very worst is so bad I can barely even begin to explain it. It's not impossible that he'll be terrible. Emerson Bado. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, That's such an obvious answer. I'm going to say Soldado. You prefer Soldado? Are you insane? He um like wasn't like a black hole where football went to die. Where, whereas Paulinho was. Soldado is still a weird, kind of weird flop because he was he was good as fuck in Spain, and I don't know because I, obviously I didn't have the access or understanding of stats that I do now. But he scored a lot of fucking goals, and that lasted for a lot of years. So unless his decline like hit him as he was going to Spurs like that that summer. I don't know, because he, he was a lot better for Villarreal also, after returning. Uh, the same summer he transferred to Spurs, his wife had a miscarriage, and that had a huge effect on um, his uh, mental state, which of course it was for anyone it would, and it does. Uh, and then when he arrived in uh, England, we played a style of football where we never crossed, when previously he was thriving of crosses, and we generally failed to supply him generally. So those two things going on in his life at the same time obviously had a huge... Uh, uh, and we tend, obviously, on this podcast not to talk about intangibles too much, but I, I think it's inescapable with Soldado that he obviously had a huge knock to his confidence both on and off the pitch. Uh, and as a result, although he, he's at Valencia, is it now? So even when he picked up form when he moved back to Spain, uh, he wasn't uh, a goal scorer. Never anymore, no. Never anymore. So although he's improved as a player, he's lost his sort of uh, ruthless finisher style forever. Alright, well that's some interesting analysis. Made me sadder than I thought it would be. On to happier things, I guess. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Samper, because a lot of Barca fans take offense to the Polinio signing, saying that Samper would be a better option. And uh, to that, I'm just wondering what the fuck makes him think that, other than his name and the fact that he's <laughs> the fact that he's from from La Masia and yeah he was good on FM I'm sure he was good on FIFA career mode I'm sure he might still be but if if you watched him at Granada you would think yeah they probably need to get rid of this, rid of this dude and I mean I was hyped because I was I was gonna be like a super fan of that Granada team with with uh, Boga with Andres Pereira and with Samper but uh <laughs> and, and coached by Paco Jemez that didn't turn out the way it should have yeah, Paco Jemez was in Mexico by late October. <laughs> he was like, out. <laughs> Forget about it. Well, he went to spring break in October. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you if you saw him playing like for, for an Atlante team right now, would you even would he even stand out? Do you Hell think no. he'd be he'd not, like he wouldn't be picked up by a La Liga team? But it's not it's not just a matter of quality. Obviously, not every La Major project is going to be first in quality is also a matter of style isn't it because he's not a player of the same mold as Paulinho he's not the same position as Paulinho so the fact yeah he's the kind of Busquets type I think that you should give him another season in the 
team that's more well established than Granada. More well established, not in a sense of in a better team, but in a sense of like not a team that's a fucking mess. And uh, and then you'll see, because you literally only have stats from them. You should be nowhere near Barcelona. What I'm saying is like before tossing him to the third Spanish division or whatever. And like no, he'll catch on in a La Liga club. It's just he isn't Barca. Like I saw tweets saying that Manchester City should go after him. And like for for an English person to say that, it's like I think it's it's not so much about like actually him personally, it's about what he represents in terms of the club's direction. So I think people's anger, although it might be slightly misdirected, isn't completely um wrong to exist because they, they Yeah, but now they're they're upset they're gonna start playing Delafeu, so I literally just Google his name on YouTube. 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 The two things I thought were evident uh, against Brighton. Brighton set super deep in a 4-4-2, and the two forwards just prevented playing through Bernardino. And they had company on the right with um, Otamendi on the left with Stones central. And I thought that Stones really didn't get uh, much chance to play the ball forward. It was pretty much sideways, just playing out to the wing backs. When the two uh, far side or the two wide center backs had a lot more space to progress the ball out through uh, passing and ball carrying. When Company and Otamendi aren't as good as Stones in that aspect, so I posted a tweet and I said, "Like, what's the logic between him playing centrally?" And I think Nat said that normally the central center back would be under the most pressure, which makes sense, but. In this situation against Brighton, where they really didn't press at all, I thought he was kind of a wasted commodity, considering how good he is on the ball. I, there's two things. One is that um, when preparing your lineup, preparing in training, you can't be sure that Brighton aren't going to um, put pressure on the deepest player. So, although they could have changed in match, I think there's there's some reason for sticking with their initial uh, shape, which is with Stone Central, and also uh, that they're going to continue to play. With this lineup, they're going to continue to want to play Stones, the most technical centre back in the deepest role, which requires the most pressure. The other thing is that just because uh, Stones isn't directly under pressure himself, the fact that the next line is under pressure uh, limits his passing options. So uh, I would say that there is still, even though it's a small amount, uh, some minimal pressure on stones and you still want the superior passing passer in the deepest row that makes sense it's fair yo we're we're agreeing in chip I, I i don't think it's enough that i would have not made the change because they've really played conservative at the back um and it was a lot of just the circulation around the u-shape in the back and uh stones i made a cut up way back him against monaco in the champions league away last year He's really, really good at dribbling forward and waiting for the last second to release the ball and really screwing up the uh, like man marking going forward. And Company's not that type of player, or he wasn't. Um, company's not exactly games. bad. Company's not like no, no, no. But I mean, if companies are, if you do have John Stones, you you want to get the most value out of him as possible. So I mean, there might be something to uh, your comfort level and uh, established defensive faces too, though. Because as a central center back, you're like the only center back in a back three who always acts like a center back. Or both, both wide center backs have to act as fullbacks uh, in certain faces, like depending on where the ball is. Wouldn't you say under that idea, though, that 
Stones is more agile and probably a better wide defender than the other two and weaker in the air. I would. I would. I, th- I think uh, if you look at Conte's Chelsea last season and, and, and Pochettino's Spurs, that they've both gone for the more technical defender, Louise and Alderweireld respectively, in the central role. And, and Cahill was probably the best example of the the least technical defender, but he's pushed up pretty high and pretty wide a lot of the time. So that situation is fairly well established. Yeah, I think Stones is his guy. He kind of likes him taking that leadership role, dictating to everyone in front of him. So I think Stones is your guy. The Per 90 podcast is also the John Stones fan club. Oh yeah, big time. Also the Gareth Barry Colt. Should, should I speak against John Stones or what? I think the counterpoints against John Stones are fairly fairly well out there. And uh, I, think, I think they're becoming less and less true. Literally just got that he said Google his name, but on YouTube. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> then why did you find it funny? That doesn't make any sense. Just, I can't believe Ty said that, and Tiago's an even bigger moron. <laughs> <laughs> when we're evaluating players, do you think we should be adjusting defensive stats for team possession? Measure something that you can do once per possession, basically, and it's um. It's not really a matter of the length of a possession. It's a matter of number of possessions, number of turnovers. Like, say you're playing in a deep deep box system. Obviously, the other team's going to have more of the ball. It's kind of silly to punish them for not going after the ball in situations where they're not supposed to. <laughs> like Thiago. Thiago Alcantara had, because Bayern had so much fucking possession, he had something I like... I thought you were talking about me. No. I would never. Uh, Tiago Alcantara had something like nine possession-adjusted interceptions per 90 because Bayern had so much fucking ball. Essentially, what you're saying then is that if he played for, if he played for a team that had 50% possession instead of Bayern, he would have nine. Yeah, he'd have nine. He'd have nine interceptions. The threshold's like three. It's unreal. If he was playing for Burnley, he'd have like 15. Yeah, it's it's a it, the logic behind it at, at a glance makes sense, but then when you think about it as possessions opposed to amount of possession, it makes absolutely no sense. Because, yeah, like the example I used earlier, if you're Brighton and you're a midfielder for Brighton and your entire task is preventing uh, Fernandinho from receiving the ball or facing or holding on his back and they keep playing this U-shape over and over and over, just circulating the ball, you're going to firstly have less, uh, less opportunities to win the ball. Your manager's not going to want you to be flying out, losing shape. And then on top of all that, your raw number at the end of the match is going to take a massive hit because your team doesn't have possession of the ball. So, I mean, if you ran like numbers from uh, 2010, 2011 Barcelona, who had just an insane amount of possession and defensive uh, defensive involvements, I mean, you'd be seeing absurd numbers because they're going to be having like 70% possession, which multiplies the number like way more than you guys wouldn't even even know it's not like a proportional thing like the higher you get the more it goes up they uh they press the ball like maniacs every time they lose it so you're gonna have more opportunities than you would for a burnley or a west brom best way for like data visualization is just to have everything raw and to take your own context away from it once you know the situation better you don't want like even more fluff and distance between the number and the truth behind it so I mean, their logic, which is obviously flawed, is that if you have less of the ball, you have more time to commit a defensive right. action, right? Well, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you possession adjust attacking yeah. actions by that logic? Passing actions. 
Yeah. Like, all right, so you had, you had this many key passes, but they had a lot more possession. Like, that's the exact same thing. And if you start doing that as well, and you just fucked up yeah. all the data you started you can't, with. You can't, you've gotten data, you can't adjust from. half of it for context and half of it not. Because then you got a key pass on Barcelona has like a 0.6% of the weight that a key pass for every other team would have. So you just you just take the context with it. If a player's putting up 2.5 key passes for like a, a Las Palmas, it's going to have more value than they would for Barcelona. You don't have to adjust everything to where we can't even take anything from the data. You know what I mean? I mean, like every piece of data, you got to take in consideration like what they do, what their manager wants, what what team do they play for. Like so, it's it doesn't make any difference, right? So yeah, you got you guys convinced me. I like the the idea of it for center backs, but I guess. Your your point was well made. Congratulations. Uh, I'm I'm not totally convinced myself, um, but I, I don't think we're gonna get anything uh, right. I guess that you're you're fine with the take. Uh, I I'm not convinced either way, and I think I think it it needs uh, thorough investigation. I think what Ty was talking about a minute ago about um, playing against Man City when you're instructed to just shield and block central passes, and if you do that for 90 minutes, you've done a great job. Um, but it doesn't show up in the stat. That that's less about uh, for me. That's less about looking at possession adjusted defensive actions, and more about how we measure defense defending, uh, how we attempt to quantify defending as a whole. Uh, and that is a much much more complicated issue. Quantifying defending is something they're trying to do, uh, like uh, measuring pressure by, uh, like trying to quantify turnovers in a player's general area and shit. Uh, and maybe they'll get like a good solution one day. I mean, even the NBA, which is like on the forefront of a statistical analysis and it's a lot easier of a sport to quantify and analyze that way. Like even they have massive Or even baseball has no idea what they're doing for defense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You need huge yeah, sample like three sizes, years. Right? Th- years. Three years to get like and a general point, idea like of what a player is defensively. He's not even what he was three years ago or the contract situation is completely different. So. <laughs> yeah. Like you can have you can have huge improvement or regression during that. You can have fucking knee surgeries. You can have five kids if you're I don't know Philip Rivers' brother playing. That. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's a massively complex issue. Complex issue uh, like quantifying defending and finding out who is a good defender and who's good at what. And I don't think the possession possession adjusting uh, like basic defensive actions is. I I think it is a step all. in the right direction, but it needs much more. The logic. The logic is a step in the right direction, but the number is a step in the wrong direction. It's more misleading than the actual number. I think there's more players where it's going to mislead you than there's players where it's going to be like, hey, you know what, um, if we did switch teams, maybe he would have more. I don't think those players really exist that often. Do they have a voice filter that uh, makes makes you feel alive? <laughs> <laughs> I made a I made a video about Herrera's shot locations. In that video, I included a lot of shots that are actually that he's probably instructed by Mourinho to do after set pieces, particularly corners, to prevent dangerous counterattacks. Because I don't I mean keeping the ball in play when both of your center backs and probably got a fullback taking the corner. So like three of your defenders at least are are in the opposing third. Uh, so sometimes really you're, you're going to find yourself in a situation where even though you're in the attacking half, the, the most sensible and the safest thing to do with the ball is to clear it. And if you're in the attacking 
third and you need to clear the ball, it might as well be a shot because, you know, throw the dice, see what happens. Um, yeah. and, 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 and you rack up a bunch of uh, low expected goals, uh, shots, even though you're, you're making a sensible decision. And, and that circles back to a tweet I replied to the other day that because it was quoted onto my timeline that's 18 months old, uh, where uh, Simon Glee was asking, if you've got a player who keeps shooting from bad locations, how do you talk to him about it? How do you um, dissuade him or her from taking a bunch of bad shots? And uh, my reply was that you don't, you don't sit them down, you don't talk to them about expected goals. What you do is you help to create better situations around them where there's a pass available because much like with Herrera uh, having shot slash clearances sometimes <clears throat> in fact most of the time a player has a shot it's because they honestly believe in that moment in that second is the best thing to do what you have to do is give them better options yeah uh when I first watched that video I was kind of just laughing at the shot locations and then I saw I actually quote tweeted it and somebody said to me that some of them were right options, like you said, because it does make sense to clear the ball in your own third if it's more dangerous going the other way. First thing you said was you laughed at it, and that's that was my intention. Like, it's it's just funny, funny to watch. Like, I still love Herrera, and I see his value. He's an incredible defensive asset, and he's right in possession. Yeah, but, of um, course. And then, uh, <laughs> no, just now that I have that in my head, it's something I look for from corners, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and you saw, say, you saw uh, Henderson do it during the match. Um, the commentator after Henderson cleared the ball, like it was like a chest high volley straight off the corner. It was headed out from Hoffenheim, and he just whacked it out. And um, the commentators like giggle to themselves and like, oh, like what was that? Like I don't even know what that was. And I mean, it was pretty obvious that he was instructed through Klopp or through him just playing the sport for as long as he had that. That's what you do in that scenario because he. If he brings the ball down and he's dispossessed, the entire field behind them is vulnerable to be counterattacked. And so, yeah, it's definitely something that there's more going on than it meets the eye. It's not just a stupid shot. And it's, I mean, not that these players don't take stupid shots sometimes, but it's a safe way to end a possession opposed to losing the ball, being, being dispossessed, and being able to be countered on. Kind of the same uh, school of thought as far as clearances go. Uh, teams are now teams aren't just starting to do it, but it's starting to get more attention on Twitter anyway. Uh, teams that take kickoffs and intentionally play the ball out. You guys want to talk about that? What you're trying to do is like from kickoff, you're you've got your entire team behind the ball. You've got no like forward passing options, and uh, and plus you're you're in a position where it's easy to get get pressed. And if you're trying, it's it's not really like you can just advance your team with the ball. You have to play the ball backwards first, and then that puts the other team in a position to press you. Uh, so instead, you want to you want to reverse that and just put them in a position where they're easier to press. And the easiest place to press someone is down in one of the corners, because obviously the sideline is essentially a, the best defender on the pitch because it's it's uh, like one hundred and eighty degrees really not that less to pass. Deep to. of a concept. I remember you DMing me a uh, like a translated German piece like six months ago, about the intentional mispass. Yeah, it's from uh, the German under 20, I think it was under 20, actually. Yeah, that was more from like an open play situation. Like uh, you put it right between the center back and the goalkeeper, and it's like a like a dead zone where... Well, well, that's not where you want to put it, actually. You want to put it wide, because if you put it there... Then yeah, yeah that's what I meant, like uh, vertically anyway, not... 
Yeah, you want to put it vertically, right. like towards their corner flag, but not, not. I, I think her, you want to put it be- just behind um, the, the opposition fullback, so the fullback has to yeah. retreat and and probably head exactly. off balance. Exactly, and that's where you want to put it. Like worst case scenario, there. Uh, I mean, worst case is they actually manage to retain possession and do something with it. But even that's not necessarily that bad. It's like par for the course, really. Uh, but what's normally going to happen is that either you're going to put them in a situation where they're pressed and will either lose the ball or they have to play a long ball, uh, in which case you achieved what you wanted to do, or they they give away a throw in by just heading the ball out of out of play. Uh, is there anything interesting to say about uh, Neymar's debut? His output that match was like double that of Messi's career total. Um, like on a, on a per 90 basis, of course. But um, yeah, that won't hold up, obviously. But if you can even get half of that, you're looking at probably the greatest season ever from someone outside of Messi. You'll get two thirds of that. Two thirds is still Messi plus 25%. So I tweeted a sample of sample of his like single game stats. Eleven out of fifteen dribbles. He made seven key passes. He had six shots, a goal, and an assist. Yeah, three through balls, and uh, and just to put that into perspective, uh, the thresholds 0.5 through balls, uh, right. depending on how, how they're charted, of course. Uh, it's like if you're using who who scored, then the threshold should probably like yeah 0.3. So he he, he had ten times the through balls of the ninety fifth percentile. To be elite at them still. Yeah, well, three balls are something that, that happen with with an immense variance. So they're right. It's just icing on of top course, of the of uh, course. cake or whatever. Yeah, it's just the thing is, it's so it's so obvious that is the second best player, the second best player in the world, and closing in on the first one with a season like in a team that's actually playing for him and playing through him in a league that is. Although I'm not shitting on the on the league because it's a really good league, obviously. Like it, it you know that's slightly under La Liga's quality. I think he's gonna like make a really good run. I think what sucks is that just judging by the response his performance got, unless PSG win the Champions, nobody's gonna care. People aren't gonna be there to be like, oh, you know, Neymar made this many chances created, all this type of stuff. Um, it's gonna be, did he win the Ballon d'Or? Did they win the Champions League? Which the argument will be if you pay that not that kind of money, that's what you need. But I mean. If he's going to put up one of the greatest single-season performances ever, I don't care what league it's in. Honestly, it's a top-five league. I mean, people talk about this like they're just ones of farmers. It's unreal. I mean, I get people are joking, but it's really not a big drop-off. It's The thing with the, the Champions League, though, man, it's just... It is what it is. It's, it's 180 minutes. It's just... It's super, yeah. Theoretically, the best team will win it, but I mean... Yeah, it's super luck-based. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, they're, I think they're top-tier. I think them, Real Madrid, and uh, Bayern are probably the top three now, yeah. Just let me finish contextualizing it. Uh, seven key passes. He, he completed 11 dribbles. He, he had six shots. I mean, good shot locations as well. And he was dispossessed twice, right? Doing, doing all of that. That's one of the craziest parts of it. I think, I think right now, I'd bet 2018 Neymar wins Champions League, World Cup, and then Ballon d'Or. Okay, great. What? Thiago, how do you feel about the uh, Sigurdsson to Everson duel? I think it's massively inflated. I think Sigurdsson is fine. I think he's a fine player. I think he's enjoyable to watch. Seems like a nice guy as well. But like he's basically set pieces inflate inflate his numbers tremendously. Like every single stats person has been saying for so long. 
And um, yeah, he's nowhere near worth 45 million. The thoughts around set pieces and dismissing him as a, a set piece based player because, uh, firstly, if you look beyond just last season, his contributions are much less reliant on set pieces. And also, you have to take into context the weakness of the team that he played on, not just last season, but um, for half of his career. Um, Red Tottenham? Uh, eras of Tottenham and and the circumstances that he played when he did play for Spurs because he was a rotation option a lot of the time uh, and also played in a system that was basically camp out in the opposition half and then pass the ball to Bale. So yes, you can include some of his first time in that as well. Um, I, I, <laughs> this is where we, we go back to how do you quantify these things? He's a playmaker um, and that is a big deal and that's something that Everton have hugely missed in attack and they will hugely miss with the absence of a, a striker who can just create goals out of simple five-yard passes all on his own. Um, so, uh, although I don't think he's worth 50 million, although what is worth, what is value, that's not even a thing, um, I, I think that there's potential for him to be a good transfer. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you because you just made me a lot more annoyed about this topic, so now I'm going to talk. He's... Like, when I say that like he's a set-piece merchant, at least it means that he's good at set-pieces and that can be something that it, it can be... And that's a skill that transfers into open play. Yeah, obviously. That's short, and that's fine. I'm just saying that, like, his numbers aren't as great or his creative numbers aren't as great as most people think because a lot of them are coming from set-pieces. But that also gives you an elite set-piece taker. That's all fine. The issue is, at Tottenham... He was super inconsistent. He's definitely a big fish in small pond kind of guy and not a, te- a guy to be in a bigger team, even if you don't consider Everton one. It's definitely a jump from Swansea. And not only that, but Everton's attack this season is going to be bad, like atrocious bad. Okay, relax, relax. No. And the thing is, what... Sigurdsson, if your idea is to bring in a creative force, even if Sigurdsson isn't the best one in the market, especially if you're going to spend 45 million, but I'm assuming you're going to slot Sigurdsson like behind the striker. Is is that the idea that we're we're assuming that's going to happen? Between both Swansea and Spurs fans, that he only performs at his best when he's played centrally, and too often he's not played centrally. All right, so that means that Klassen is either out of the team. Or out of position. Point one, right? I mean, so Watson can play a little deeper. He works hard, but yeah, more or less, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he can play. He can play. He can play. I even prefer him deeper. I just, I even prefer him deeper. I just don't think that Kum, that Kuman is gonna change the. Before you finish that, as far as that like eight spot slash ten spot, um, Rooney is gonna be in the mix. So it's a three there. Yeah, who's probably not droppable. As far as stature. I can see Swansea ending up lining up with Schneiderland, Gaia, and then the three men behind the striker being Klassen, Rooney, and Sigurdsson. And if I ever see if I ever see those three people lining up at the same time, I think I'm gonna see the world's slowest attacking lineup. And I think like I could run between them real fast because they're so freaking slow and so static and they're not what Everton did, and the thing is, and up top, as, assuming we're gonna play, they're gonna play Sandro up top. Like, I guess Rooney could play up top, but either way, like, Sandro is okay. Like, he's fine, but like, he's a really good set piece taker, and he, a lot of his goals came from long shots last oh, season. So you're gonna take so, set pieces away from Gilfie? <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's not going to happen. No, but what I mean is that you're taking one of the good things away from Sandra. Sandra's not going to impress too much without set pieces and without the conversion rate yet from outside the box last season. He's still young. We should give him a year or two to... Yeah, but the thing is, he's not that great of a pure striker. And the Rooney isn't either. No, one thing about anymore. that, though, is that I'd say... You said you mentioned Klaassen. Uh, Klaassen is kind of in that somewhere between Aaron Ramsey and Dele Alli is kind of more, more of a goal-scoring midfielder than a creator, in my opinion. Yeah, but where, where are we going to fit him if Sigurdsson's coming? Except if you're playing Sigurdsson no, from the wing. No, I agree with that. Which, I, agree, I definitely like, agree with it's that. Just, no, I, I'm, super opposed to the, I'm super opposed to the signing. Like, everything's bad about that attack. Everything's bad about that attack. Best attacking piece, in my opinion, is Ademola Lukman, who's been playing as a wing-back on the right. You know, that's a super hot take, saying that Lukman's already their best attacking player. Yeah, and they're, it's not a right-back if it's like a, a wing-back. It's more of an attacking player than you're giving it credit for. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Sh- sure, but you get you get more or less the mold. Like, uh, Coleman's a very attacking right-back anyway. But my point is, like, even if Lukman is not their best attacking player, is the one with most, most differential characteristics... Like, he's quick, he's a completely different type of striker than anyone else that they have. I think let Everton are not going to have a good season. Like, I'm not, or I think defensively they're fine, but offensively their attack is awful. Like, awful. Like, one of the worst in the league, and I mean that. I think they have, they have too much individual quality, I think, to be as nearly as bad as you're suggesting. Dude, the thing is, none of the individual quality matches up. It's so weird. Like, it makes me feel weird. Measuring this by uh, expected goals for, I don't think there's a chance they're bottom five in the league. Like, no chance. I agree. They have too much talent. Like, yeah. sure, you can disagree about how to, how to use that it's, talent. It's weirdly to... put together, but they have some very good players. You know why not? Because set pieces and centre-back scoring goals and yeah. whenever the full, the two full-backs come back in and penalties and shit like that. Seriously. Something, something that I've, I've already written and committed to is that my suspicion is that they're at, uh, at risk of, of losing their death grip on seventh place. How do you feel about that? They're losing their what, sorry? They're... they're, they're their grip on seventh place. Like they're not going to be able to hold on to it anymore. Well, yeah, hell no. I feel like it's going to be a stretch if they do end up holding on. Speci- especially if they make it to Europe. Yeah, I don't know if there's going to be a huge gap between uh, seventh and eighth like there has been in the past. Uh, there's a couple other clubs that are coming up, I think, and getting bigger in stature and sustainably getting bigger in stature, uh, like Leicester. It will also depend a little bit on... Uh, when uh, I forgot his name, the Congolese slash England winger, uh, that tricky guy Balazi. Yeah. yeah, it will also depend a little bit on when he comes back, because even though I don't think he's like an elite player in any way, shape, or form, he's like he's completely different. Have, yeah. is completely different from what they have. So that will disrupt things in a lot of ways, and things will open up. And I think that's going to be fine, and he's going to be important. But he's going to come back in like maybe December or January. I don't know. Thanks for listening. Nah, don't do that. That's cringe. No, don't don't do that cringe shit. No, I'm just not saying thanks. We're not getting shit. I'm not saying thanks for anything. And it'd be really helpful if you could leave a review on iTunes because that helps boost us up in the ratings. No, come on. I'm cr- I'm cringing so hard. We're not like this. I, you didn't even know this was on iTunes. <laughs> I've never even tweeted about this. People don't even know what voice I am. I could be mad right now. They don't even know.